This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles. If you're into nerd culture, if you're into comic books, if you're into signed sports memorabilia, if you're into wrestling figures, please visit firstworld.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20. You'll get 20% off. Everything you see there is in Canadian funds, so to all you American listeners, it's a little bit cheaper for you. But don't worry, international, they ship worldwide, so there's no need not to visit them. And they update daily, so please visit them every day. Like I said, they got signed sports memorabilia, they got signed wrestling figures, they got signed pretty much everything you need or want that's nerd culture, they got it there. And if you're into nerd culture and video games and all of that sort of stuff i assume you're into books and like i said video games if so please visit bossfightbooks.com today for great books on classic video games you'll find titles like nba jam resident evil and most recently released silent hill 2 Obviously, everything you see there is in paperback and ebook format, so please visit bossfightbooks.com. And if you want to support me directly, please visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com or scroll down on today's device. It's embedded right there in the description. Click on that link. Takes you right to the merchandise store. I got everything from hoodies to t-shirts to onesies. Anything you need or want is literally there, so please support me that way. But if you don't want to support me monetarily, totally understandable. The easiest thing, the most free thing, the thing that takes you two seconds, please rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. Most specifically, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So, this week's guest is a writer. A producer, a stand-up comedian, and the author of Boss Fight book Silent Hill 2, Mike Drucker. Hey, hello, this is my voice. If you're hearing me, this is Mike Drucker. <laughs> How's it going, my friend? How are you today? Good. It's, uh, it's, it's been a busy work day. Um, uh, yeah, it's just been, we've been, we're working on like a few episodes that are coming up, and there's a couple sketches in them, so we've just been in like rewrite session after rewrite session. It's been busy. So what, what do you do most out of all the hats that I just mentioned? Is it writing or is it stand-up comedy? What, what is it? Um, it's writing, especially okay. since the pandemic. You know, sure. it, for a while it's been mostly writing. Okay. But uh, once the pandemic hit, you know, I did Zoom shows and whatnot. But sure. um, 
you know, I was able to keep writing throughout the whole thing. So really, I would say 90% writing. Oh, okay, that's pretty cool. So what got you into writing and what got you into comedic writing? Well, you know, I always like liked reading as a kid and I was always like good in English class. I always, you know, I wrote like a couple short stories. I never thought I'd become a writer, Okay. you know, because things like writer and comedian always seems like seem like jobs that other people have, (laughs) you know, that like you have to be a special person or your parents have to be rich or your parents have to be famous to do that. Sure. Makes sense. And, and my parents weren't rich and they weren't famous. (laughs) So I kind of thought, you know, I really also like video games. So my original plan was I was going to be like a computer programmer and get into video games. Oh, okay. And in high school, I took programming classes and I was just fucking awful at them. I was so bad at them. (laughs) So bad. And I wanted to be good. It wasn't like, ah, what's this for nerds? I was like, this is what I'm supposed to be good at. Sure. And, you know, and I've even (laughs) tried since then, like every couple of years, I'm like, I'll learn Python. And maybe five lessons in, I'm like, oh, right, I hated this, and I'm not good at it. <laughs> right. So um, so I kind of, like, you know, left that behind mm-hmm. and decided I wanted to go to NYU for college. I really I really wanted to be in New York City. Okay. I, for some reason, well, one, I, I wanted to be in a city that was walkable. I was sure. not really interested in, like, you know, I didn't want to go to, a, like, a college with a campus in a small town. I kind of mm. want to feel like I lived in a place versus a gated community. Yeah, makes sense. And NYU kind of provides that. So I moved to NYU, and I kind of knew, you know, I still liked books. I was like, oh, maybe I'll become a book editor, or I'll work in publishing. And so I considered that for a bit. Didn't really love the publishing industry after interning for a couple places. And I was kind of adrift for, like, you know, in college, I was like, you know, after freshman year, I was kind of disillusioned with publishing, because it is an intensely hard industry. Right. Um that I kind of was like, I don't know, maybe I'll become a teacher. Like I applied for Teach for America and I didn't get that. And somewhere along the way, I kind of, you know, I'd make my friends laugh occasionally. I even was like on a, on a whim, I applied for NYU sketch team, mm-hmm. which I didn't get, but I got to the second round of auditions. Oh, there you go. And I had zero training, but I was able to at least get to that second round. And that in my head was sort of like, okay, maybe, maybe I could try to do comedy. Sure. And that itself drove me to eventually try doing my first open mic, which I did. I did my first stand-up open mic at New York City Comedy Club. And I I was bad at it, but <laughs> the experience was great. I really, yeah. like, the experience filled me with adrenaline. Like, I really wanted to do it again. I was proud of myself. Like, I overcame sure. this huge fear. And it just became something that I started to do, and it felt like something that I wasn't immediately good at it. I was okay. pretty terrible at it, but I didn't feel... I felt like I could get better at it. It was something that I felt like I could maybe do. Whereas a lot of things I didn't, you know, like with programming, I sucked right away, but I was like, I don't think I can overcome how much I'm bad at this. Exactly. Whereas with standup, it was a lot more like I'm bad at this, but I feel like I can get better, which probably also applies to programming. If I really had put in the effort. (laughs) Um, and so I started doing standup and you know, the thing is when you're starting with standup, you're doing, local shows you're doing bars you're doing open mics you're doing like you know maybe comedy clubs but like you know they're saturday at noon open mic so you're at the cellar but you're not really (laughs) at the cellar yeah and as i did that i started to get some recognition um you know from the comedy community and from a couple people and in the meantime like i was still at college i sort of finagled my way into an internship at snl basically wow. no one wanted to interview for the casting department of okay. nbc in new york 
So they were like, if you intern here right. because it's hard to fill this spot, we'll put you we'll put you where you want to be next semester. Oh, awesome! So I did that, and I interned for SNL, and I I learned a lot about writing. Okay. I learned a lot about especially joke writing. Like joke writing was sort of what my focus was. I loved Weekend Update, and I was given the opportunity to start pitching Weekend Update jokes, which again oh, I was nice. terrible at from the start. Right. Just fucking awful. <laughs> But after a couple of years, I started to get some jokes on, then I got more and more on. And from there, you know, like I would do stand up and I'd meet people like people from The Onion who'd be like, hey, do you want to oh, contribute to this? Okay. And, you know, I'd have a friend who was like, oh, I just published this thing in McSweeney's. And I was like, what's Ooh. that? And they were like, oh, it takes open submission. So I'd submit to that. Okay. And I just kind of tried to get my name out there as much as I could. And whether by chance or by where my talents sort of were, the writing did more than the stand-up did. Mm. Stand-up, I would go places I got to do New Faces at Montreal, which is a big oh, deal. Yes, but of course. I was, but I was never like, I was never like, for a brief moment, I was like, I'm going to go on the road. I'm going to become like a road stand-up. This is like, I'm going to be a stand-up. Okay. And I went on the road and I like doing shows on the road, mm -hmm. but being on the road kind of bummed me out and I felt like weird and I felt lonely kind of. It just felt um, like it wasn't the lifestyle that I had been excited about. Like, I right. love doing stand-up. I just don't necessarily know if I'm built for that sort of nomadic lifestyle where I'm not home 200 days out of the year yeah. like some of my friends. Of course. And I don't even have like a fucking family or spouse <laughs> to care about. It's more just like, I was like, do I not want to be home for two, for like most of the year yeah. at all? I don't know how people do it. Some, right. Some people love it. But so I kind of, you know, focused on writing. I was getting a lot on the show at SNL. Um, sure. I graduated grad school i went i got my master's in english lit graduated okay. got a job in advertising that like i was Ooh. instantly that i instantly hated and quit Just, <laughs> okay. it, it wasn't advertising itself it was the company it was one of those okay, companies okay. that was like sort of a startup company that was like mm. we're changing the face of advertising and they weren't and uh, like everything okay. was like about loyalty in this <laughs> weird way like sure um quit that and then I was like, oh, I get to live my dream. Showtime, the network, was yeah. actually starting up like sort of a video gamey type division. Oh, like they okay. were interested in maybe starting to like produce or publish video games or like have a platform for games. Mm -hmm. And I was there at the beginning of that. Okay. And then right then the 2008 crisis, financial crisis happened. Oh, shit. <laughs> so that, that shuts down. And I'm employed for, unemployed, sorry, I'm unemployed for maybe six or seven months when oh, no. suddenly SNL came back because there was a writer strike around the same time. That's right. Um, SNL came back and one of their photo researchers, one of their researchers left mm -hmm. and they were like, hey, we know you really love the show. We know that you didn't suck as an intern. Mm -hmm. Would you like to become a photo researcher? Oh, wow. Became a photo researcher where I started to get a lot of jokes on Weekend Update. I started to get like a ton on. Beautiful. And... It got to the point where, like, I was even being, like, you know, taken with Seth to be a writer on award shows. Like, oh, I, yeah. Seth Meyers would be like, hey, yeah. do you want to write on the ESPN awards? And I would. That's so, cool. you know, whether I was rightfully feeling confident or if <laughs> I was getting too big for my britches, probably depending on who you ask, I was okay. like, hey, you should make me a writer because I'm writing all these things. Yeah, of course. And this is a very common thing in a lot of entertainment where there is a writer's assistant or a researcher who's doing well, mm -hmm. but they just don't fit them in. And they were All like, right. we're, we're probably not going to do that at least for a while. All right. And I kind of got, and I was frustrated. And the thing is, I get it. I know how the industry works. It right. wasn't like they had not promised me anything. True. Um, they weren't like, once you get all this on, that's when you'll be a writer. It was right. sort of like, and so I, then a friend of mine told me that, uh, Nintendo of America had 
jobs open for writers. Okay. And I was like, okay, fuck it. I'll go back to games. <laughs> Sure. I'm frustrated with this. <laughs> I did my best. I got shit on the show, so I yeah. have written for the show because I have jokes that I wrote on there. Right. I'll go do this. I love Nintendo. So I went to Nintendo as a writer. I worked there for a couple years, which is an amazing company. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is such a lovely company to work for. It was such a great experience. Right. Um, and I'm sorry if I'm rambling through no, this. No, please. This is awesome. Uh but, uh, you know, the thing about Nintendo is they never fire anyone. So what your job is when you join there is probably going to be your job there for a long time. Uh, like, okay. you get paid more and more. They give raises. They give decent raises. They had a good retirement bonus. Okay. They had great health insurance. However, you know, there were people with my job title who were probably making a huge amount more than me, but mm. still had my job title and had been there 10 years longer than me. Gotcha. And so, you know, after a couple of years, I was like, I've done this, but I don't know if I'm going to become a lifer here just because... You know, I want to explore other things. Mm -hmm. I got to do this. I got to accomplish this, but what else is out there? (laughs) And from there, IGN offered me a job writing comedy videos about video games. Oh. Um, And I was like, great. That's cool. And I did that. Um, I did that for a year, and that's when I got Montreal New Faces. Okay. And from Montreal New Faces, I got some recognition from uh, Jimmy Fallon. And Seth Meyers was like, hey, like Jimmy Fallon asked around about, or the show did. I don't know if he did personally, but the show mm-hmm. asked around about me. Um, I was pitched to them as a writer, and okay. Seth Meyers put in a good word for me. A couple of other comedians I'd worked with had put in a good word for me. And I was hired at, then it was Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. Okay. And then a year later became The Tonight Show. Right. And that's how I broke into TV. And from there, wow. I've just sort of, you know, jumped from job to job when I could. And now I'm at Samantha B. Wow, that's awesome. Okay, well, when did you become a video game freak? Like, did you, was it at the beginning? Did you get early into it or was it late? Early into it. Okay. Early into it. So, what are some of your earliest memories? Honestly, earliest memories, like three or four with the the Nintendo Zapper, just like holding it to the screen so I could get the ducks, like literally pressing (laughs) the Zapper against the screen. Sure. So I can catch those ducks. Oh, my. So, what are some of your favorite of all time? Some of my favorite of all time. It's hard to say sometimes because I definitely confuse nostalgia sometimes with like an actual favorite. And I want to bring that I up because you touch on that in the book. I love that. Go on. Yeah. I would say obviously Silent Hill 2. Uh, okay, of course. Especially now that I've had to play it so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, I never think of this and forget to name it, but honestly, I would say Street Fighter 2. It's oh. a game I constantly go back to. Okay. It's a game that like if I have 15 minutes, I'll open it up and play it. Sure. It's It's... It's not a game I've mastered. I could not be a competitive fighter (laughs) (laughs) in any sort of level. Um, However, it's a game that I constantly find pleasure in. I constantly go back to. It's usually like one of the first things I try when I'm trying an emulator. Or Mm. if I, you know, like bought that collection on Switch and PC. Um, It's just a game I go back to a lot. Even if when I go back to it, I'm spending 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and then not playing it for a while. Sure. Makes sense. Um, and what's weird is I'm, I don't feel that nostalgic for it because I think I've okay. consistently gone back to it. It's not like yeah. tied to a specific childhood right. point. Okay. Um, let's see. What else? I would say, honestly, I would say Hades recently jumped on that list. Oh, Hades, okay. Hades grabbed me real hard. And I, I know if I played it right now, I would be just as excited as I was when I started. So okay. I would say Hades jumped on that list. I would say... Um, what else would be on there? Because the list has definitely changed over the like. I, 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 I know. Okay. When crazy, crazy Taxi would have been on that list, and now it's not. 
but there was a time it would have been. And and it's not really um, a fair question because look how many video games have come out over time. So how about this to, to narrow it down? Yeah. What's your favorite yeah. system? How about that? Because that's usually easier for people. Favorite system's got to be Super Nintendo. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, Super Nintendo, just in terms of the role-playing games. And yes, I don't know, that does have a lot of nostalgia tied to it in terms of like, you know, when you first see it raining and linked to the past and you're like, right. oh my God, games can do this now. Yeah, but does it really have nostalgia? Because I could pick up almost any good Super Nintendo game and it feels like it's not old, like if that makes sense. Like, yeah. Like the Super Mario World, like you just said, Legend of Zelda, uh, Don- Donkey Kong Country, like all those games still yeah. hold up, right? They hold up really well. Mega Man, Mega, Mega Man's X, another one. Yeah, um, yeah. The Final Fantasies, yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's so. Yeah, I think I think I mentioned this before, but mine I think would have to be probably PlayStation Three. Tell you the truth. Oh wow, that's that's an interesting choice. That's not a usual choice. Because again, I was like, okay, let, let's talk about it right now. You bring it up in the book, yeah. the, the nostalgia factor of everything. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you have this in your mind where you're thinking, oh, this is so great. This is awesome. Oh my god, I can't wait to play this again. You go pick it up. It's a dud. It's broken. You don't know how the fuck you even played this to begin with. And why is right, it so yeah. heralded up there amongst like some people's top 10, right? And one example yeah. is like the original Resident Evils with the clunky controls and all that. Like that's one. I, I can't remember. There was a few other ones where I'm like, oh my God, this game was so awesome. And I go back, I'm like, what the hell's wrong with me? You know what I mean? So it's yeah. true. So that's why I can't, because I recently got back with the, with the mini consoles and all that. And then I'm always one of those guys that get those collections that always come out. And they don't hold up, man. Like, majority of them yeah. just don't hold up. You know what I mean? So I can't say that Super Nintendo or Nintendo is one of my favorites. I got to go play PlayStation 3 because I think in any sort of time now, even in the future, if I pick this up, I'm going to be able to play it. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes total sense, yeah. Right? So, again, you, you brought it up. The Nostalgia Factor. How important was this to include this? Because you said it yourself. You'd still love this game, so it's not really Nostalgia Factor, right? Right, yeah. And it, yeah, so easy to be like, you know, I love this when I was 14. Like, Metal Gear Solid blew my mind when I was 14. There's another game. No, sucks. Yeah. Yeah, like, replaying it, like, I like, I like you know, I like it. Um, but, like, replaying it, I'm like, oh, this story makes no sense. This is a ridiculous story. But when you're, like, a teenager, you're like, yeah, man, war is crazy. And, you know, I'm shooting guns to stop war. And it makes total sense to you. Right, no kidding. Yeah, that that is a good one. Metal Gear Solid, that was one I tried to go back and play. Oh my god, no way. I can't. I, yeah. I, I just can't. Oh my god. Okay, so how about this? I've never completed a Silent Hill game, believe it or not. And I've played oh, wow. many a games. I've completed many a games. This is one series. I never Maybe because I never owned it. I've rented it and played it a few times back in when people used to rent games. But I've never yeah. actually completed a game. So... For you, did you complete it the first time you played it, or was it everything that you did the second time that pretty much was included in the book? Um, I completed it the first time I played it when I got it in high school. However, um, I got the original copy, which actually is missing, like, an extra scenario that came out with, like, the greatest hits versions, and Mm. later editions had, like, an extra sort of subsection in it. Yes. So I played it, but I had to play it again later to catch that new stuff. Um, Oh, gotcha. So I played it a couple times across... Even before the book, played it a couple times across a couple platforms. Okay, and the multiple endings. This is something that's so interesting. For a game back then, like, you didn't really see this. And to achieve some of these multiple endings is, like, nearly close to impossible if you don't know someone or, or I guess, back then magazines because there's really no internet when it first came out, right? So how, right. like, were you one of these guys who knew the multiple endings back in, when it first came out? Or did you figure this out after? I knew there were multiple endings in that... Um... Oh, okay. I, but only in that, like, I knew the first one had multiple endings. 
and and like but it wasn't like my friends and I were like here's how you get it it was almost like hey it ended this way and I was like oh that's crazy I got this and then you're like oh there's multiple endings sure and the same same thing for this I'm sure in a review or something it also mentioned it but I definitely didn't understand the mechanics of how those other endings work okay got you that does make sense and so how many endings are there exactly do you know for is there an oh, actual number? I got off the top of my head. There's, I think there's like, I want to say five or six, but okay, I could that's be getting not too it wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's not too bad. And how about the comparison all the time of this game to Resident Evil because of how close they came out? This is during that time where the horror genre was booming and everything, right? So there's comparisons yeah. across the board, all the way from I don't know, I guess. But you actually made a good point though. It's not really a good Resident, no, not even good, but it's not even a Resident Evil game. Like it's just right. because it's horror and it came out during the same time, right? Exactly, exactly. You know, like, um, it's it's a very different feel. Like, Resident Evil is much more of, like, an action horror. Yes. You know, even the creepy segments, it's, you know, there's jump scares, things jumping out at you. And there's jump scares in Silent Hill, but Silent Hill is much more about, like, the sadness and, mm. and, and the atmosphere. You know, I would say, like, you know, Resident Evil is much more like Dawn of the Dead, you know. True. With, or, yeah, especially, like, I think the remake of Dawn of the Dead when they have, like, guns and shit in the mall and they're going, you know. Yes. Like, it's a little more like you get to fight back. You're a soldier and you're shooting these zombies. And it's scary, but it's action scary. And right. Silent Hill, I would say, is a lot more like, you know, it, it was partially inspired by David Lynch, but sort of that sense of, like, loss and you don't know quite what's going on yes. or, like, where you are. And there's still action, but a lot of the action feels... And this is unfair to say because I don't know the developers and I don't know their intentions. But okay. a lot of the action feels like, hey, we're supposed to have action in these games. Uh, gotcha. You know, whereas like your main focus on the experience is like, oh, my God, this person. I can't believe yes. this happened. I, okay, gotcha. Yeah, the exploration, so to speak. And yeah, the thing I love, too, is the main character, James. He's your everyday guy. He's not like this muscled, roided out military right. personnel. Like, you know what I mean? So you could relate to it. And I, th- maybe I didn't appreciate much of this back in the day because I wasn't into the, that psychological horror thriller type. Type shit i was more of the gore of the pop-up scares like resident evil but now as i got yeah. getting older like the, that psychological shit is what really freaks me out because it could actually happen to you right yeah and like what he does you know um which i guess i spoil in the book but it's also a 20 year old game exactly like, the thing spoiler you find book. out about him yeah i can spoil it uh you find out late in the game that this guy you've been controlling the reason he comes to the town this guy james he gets a letter from a, his wife who died of a like a terminal disease years ago yes and the letter basically says, come visit me. You know, I'm waiting for you. And he's like, well, she couldn't have written this. She's dead. And so he goes to the town. And over the course of it, you get hints that their relationship wasn't that good, that they argued a lot, that she yes. was like verbally abusive and he was verbally abusive. And then you find out basically that he he actually smothered her to death with a pillow. Mm-hmm. And the game kind of has different murky reasonings why, based on how the game's gone so far. So like right. one ending kind of implies that it was an act of mercy and your wife understands that another ending implies that it was like an act of malice and that you were selfishly trying to get out of there. But the Mm -hmm. point is you still killed your wife either way. Exactly. And you know, what's interesting about that is you're, you're playing as this normal guy. Mm -hmm. So it's like a normal guy in a, who did a murder, but in a normal relationship way, like in a, you have a sick spouse, you can't handle it. The stress breaks you, you do something that's, a normal type of murder that you yeah. don't see. When I say normal, you understand. Like, yeah. a murder that could happen in everyday life. Yeah, exactly. Which you don't see in the other games. Yeah, yeah no like, kidding. He didn't, yeah, he didn't snap her neck. He didn't blow her up with a rocket launcher. Exactly. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, it's so true. And I just love how the whole thing about the PTSD and then how he's the protagonist, but then becomes the antagonist. How many movies and TV shows have you seen this happen to? Like, is Silent Hill maybe one of the originals that's done this? I think for games, at least. Right? You know, for games, because, you know, and when we hear anti-hero, usually we're thinking of someone like, you know, Duke Nukem or, you know, exactly. like Kratos, where it's like, I've done some bad things. <laughs> yes. And... Yeah, they have, but this is someone who's like, I'm a, I'm a normal guy. I'm a normal. I haven't done anything wrong, and that's kind of scarier in its own way. Yeah, no kidding. And the other thing is, this is not a, a right continuation from part one. It's just its own story within the Silent Hills, I guess, lore or universe, right? Yeah, weirdly, their original plan seemed to be that they were going to make Silent Hill an anthology series, almost like the Twilight Zone. Okay, okay. Or like, you know, you'd have the city. The city would be shared between games right. and sort of like the idea of what the city can do, but each person's story is a little bit different. Sure. And so number one was about a cult, and mm-hmm. then number two was about the story about James and these people lost in the town. And there's slight mentions of the cult, but it feels much more like the most tangential mentioning than it does an actual, like, see, this is part of the story. Right. Um, there's, a, there's a brief mention of it. However... Most of the other games in the series then go back to the cult storyline. So it's almost oh. like Silent Hill 2 weirdly exists on its own as its own thing within the series. Right. While the rest of the game focuses on this cult. So, like, for example, this is perfect for anyone who wants to play a Silent Hill game and not get involved in the story just to pick it up and get the experience, right? You don't need to have played Silent Hill 1 to understand this one at all. And so for people like me that has no nostalgic factor and doesn't want to play broken games, I could still pick this up and play, correct? You can still pick this up and, and play. And the cool thing is, if you can get your hands on the PC version, there's a oh. ton of mods that are still being updated to this day. Like, there's still updates. Oh, shit. All of these fans have, like, have have made it work on modern screens, have added widescreen, better textures, better, you know, control things. So they've done a lot of quality of life improvements if you're like, because, you know, sometimes you play an old game and you're like, oh, I forgot that I had to move a person this way. Exactly, right? Or you forget what were the telltale signs of something being somewhere. You know, you just overshadow yeah. it and just blow right by it, right? It's so true. So how many games are there in the Silent Hill series? Is it eight? Is, it, uh, is that the number? There's quite a few. I don't know the exact number because there's also spin-offs. There's like, you know, um, there was a Silent Hill like gun arcade game. There's oh, a Silent okay. Hill pachinko machine. Oh, there's, shit. <laughs> there were, uh, I believe, Game Boy Advance sort of like visual novels that tied into the original games. Okay. So there's a few spin-offs here and there. I don't know how many are in the main series. I want to say seven or eight, but I could be way off and someone listening is very mad at me. Yeah, because I played one, this is years ago, on the Vita. They had one. I think it was Shattered Dreams. I think that's the one it was called. I, I, again, I... Don't quote me for sure. But it's sort of like the top-down Diablo-esque type style oh, yeah, where you yeah. move from room Book to room. Memories. Book of Memories. That's it. Thank Book you. Book of Memories. Yeah, yeah. That, that actually wasn't too bad. But again, yeah. it wasn't really a Silent Hill game, though. Right. It was more like a Diablo game with a Silent Hill layer on it, which is great, but it's also like, you know, it's, it's a different game. But would you want to see a remake nowadays because again everyone's on the remakes or do you want to see like a reboot and if so if you if you do want a complete reboot do you want to like open world rpg-ish what do you think would be best nowadays for a silent hill game um that's a tough question i i don't necessarily need it to be open world okay um i would love to see more in the series but i would love to see more in the series that just sort of explores the town a bit more you know now that 
you know, the one thing I would like about an open worldish environment is like a lot of these buildings that look like decaying to be able to go into them and explore ah, them. Okay. I would like a little bit more exploration. I would like it to be a bit more like, um, you know, like in Fallout in the in the recent Fallout games mm-hmm. when you go into a vault, sometimes right. there's not, it's not about the monsters. You're like, oh, I'm piecing together what happened here. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm finding out. Oh, okay, this is what happened. I found these logs. Read this. Oh my god, I can't believe this happened. And you figure out the story. Okay. And it's not the critical path story, but it is a mini story. That to me would be really fun and captivating. Actually, yeah. Well, how about this? How about like one of those uh, QTE type games where you just quick reactions and just storytelling based, yeah. like the Batman, the like, Telltale. I think that's what they are, right? Like yeah. The Walking Dead. What about something like that in the Silent Hill universe? I think that would absolutely work. It's, it's you know, to me, Silent Hill is really about the environment and the sense of like right? confusion and, and 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 depression and loss. Like that to me is what makes the game. I'm. You know, I don't need the combat or the puzzles to be exactly the same as they've always been. Yeah, that makes sense. But you go deep into this game's origins and the inspirations and all that. How long did it take you to do all this? And how long did it actually take you to write the book from start to finish? Well, it took me much longer than it should have. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It took me, it actually took me a couple years. And it's not because it required a couple years. It was because um, I would say the bulk of the work was probably a couple months playing through the games a couple times with walkthroughs just so I could see different endings so I could make sure I wasn't missing things, which I'm sure I still absolutely did. Um, and, uh, that, that was a couple months taking notes, figuring out what I wanted to say. And then writing, it took a couple years just because I would finish a draft of it. I would get notes from the editor and then I would suddenly be on a project where I, that needed my attention and it would languish. And then I would come back to it. And, to their credit, Boss Fight Books was very understanding about my schedule. Mm-hmm. It is a book I should have turned around in eight months, okay. and I turned it around <laughs> in two years. So, yeah, because you pull a lot of quotes from a lot of different sources and stuff, too. So that takes time, obviously, right? Yeah, that takes time. And I will say, to Boss Fight Books' credit, they, they, they're also helpful with that. Like They're like, oh. hey, you need help with research. So that's a lot cool. of the stuff I found, but a lot of the stuff they also found. Oh, that's awesome. I don't know Gabe went that far in detail with all, all his uh, authors. That's cool. That's so cool. Okay. He, he, he did at least for me. Okay. <laughs> Oops. I'm sorry, other authors, if he didn't. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, what about the obsession of people wanting Silent Hill to actually be a real city? Um, I, It's understandable because, you know, what works so well about Silent Hill as a city is that it does feel familiar. Mm. And, and, you know, and it's, you know, it is a Japanese version of an American city. In or- so it is kind of a cliche American city. It's very okay. like, you know, there's a police station, there's a fire station, there's True. a school, but it all feels like there's only one of them. It feels very much like, <laughs> you know, sort of like a kind of imagined American city. Right, right. But it has a it has a familiar quality to it. And so it feels it feels like a it feels like a place you could visit. It feels yeah. like a place you could get lost in. And right. so I think when people Again, when people hear about things like Centralia, Pennsylvania, where there's a coal fire under the ground and there's steam coming up, they're like, oh, that must be where it inspired from. Yeah. So like that. Sure. Like, because the city's so familiar, it's very easy to find inspirations for the city that aren't actual inspirations. Yeah, no kidding. And I think you mentioned it too about the movie. Was that where they filmed the actual movie too? I don't know if they filmed it there, but ironically, the movie was kind of inspired by that location okay. because in the in the games, it's a fog, but in the right. movies, like it's a fog that you can't see anything, but yeah. the, in the movies, it's Ash. That's right. Because I, I remember watching the movie, and I didn't enjoy it, because obviously it's not in my memory banks. What did you think about the movie? Uh, 
you know, it's 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 a movie that I sometimes when I'm writing, I'll put on like a very very like visually interesting movie without okay. sound, and like put on music and kind of like I'm writing, then it gives me something to look at for a second, but it's not distracting. Then back, it's one of those. I think it's a very visually beautiful movie, and it has a lot of great set pieces. But as like a cohesive story, it's fine. Oh, okay, that's cool. And you mentioned it, the fog. How cool was it how the devs used the tricks with the fog and the static radio yeah. to pull this game off? Because if they didn't do that, how I guess shitty what the game would have been, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's you know, that's the thing that like sometimes technical limitations make you come up with creative decisions. Yes. You know, it's sort of like in Jaws, they were supposed to have the shark. The shark didn't work, and said, and then it's a million times scarier when you don't see the shark. Yeah, no you kidding. Know? Um, it's true. And so with Silent Hill, you know, like they needed they they had too much architecture because it was a city, and they were like, well, if we put in fog, that lowers the rendering need and the fog is what makes that atmosphere yeah no kidding right that's and again yeah it's so true people don't realize how hard and how good they had to be back in the day because they didn't have like the dev kits like they have nowadays and stuff like that and like you know what i mean and a lot of these teams were not that they were smaller but not like the triple a teams like you know what i mean but they were still big enough where there was a lot of people involved where nowadays one person could make anywhere from a 16-bit and lower game by themselves right yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's also like, you know, people could release a game that, you know, takes a year to get to the state they want it to be in. True. You know, like you like Cyberpunk 2077 oh, still shit. crashes on my <laughs> Xbox, you know? Even with all the new patches and updates, it's still going down? It still, it still crashes occasionally, or it still, oh. like, glitches a little bit. I do respect it's a complicated game, but, you know, right. like, it's been a while. <laughs> Because you know what, that's what I'm waiting for, because I haven't been the one, I haven't purchased it yet, because I heard about all the bad feedback once it first came out, because I'm just waiting for it to be like, okay, like, for example, a perfect example is No Man's Sky, how it came out, and it wasn't really the game it was supposed to be, now everyone says, this is the game that should have came out when it was how many years ago, right? So I just hope it doesn't take that many years with Cyberpunk. Yeah, no, I hope, I hope the same, and you know what, I I want to enjoy it, as much as I've like made fun of it online or been cynical. Sure. I want I want a game that I paid money for to be a good game. Yeah, no kidding, right? It's so true. And that's what I guess some people don't really understand. It's you okay, sorry, you have both sides of the coin. You have the people who just want to bitch because they just want to bitch and they think that's how you could get noticed. And then there's people like me me and you where when you purchase a game you want it to be good because you love it so much. And it's it's not coming out of hatred, it's just because it's either A you're frustrated or you wanted it just to be better. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and, you know, part of, you know, part of my role or whatever thing people think about me is I make fun of video games. And it's not always me being like, man, fucking PlayStation needs to die. But if I make a, that's the weird thing is like, I'll make a joke about something that's clearly like me being like, here's a joke about an E3 thing. It's not a brutal takedown. It's just a joke. And people will be like, oh, so you're so in the pocket of, of like Sony. And it's like, what are you talking about? It's a joke. People, people online definitely take opinions about games very seriously. No kidding, right? Because I was going to ask you that. Have you ever? Because in regular stand-up comedy, you get those people, but I know as comedians, you guys just phase that out, and you can't please everyone. But how is it in the yeah. video game community making fun of video games? It can be hard sometimes. It can be hard because I love video games. I video games. I like video games more than television. It's it's my Me favorite medium. Me too. Yeah. Um, and it's not the medium I make my money in, but it is my favorite medium. It's what I spend money on when I, you know, when I'm feeling sad or whatever. Sure. And I think, though, however, it's not what my personality is based on. Mm. 
Okay. Like I would say, like you know, people know me as a nerdy dude who clicks, you know, machines or anything. But sure. like my entire identity is not based on being a fan of like you know, Tales of Symphonia or something, sure. or you know what I mean, <laughs> or like Zeno Gears. And yeah, yeah. I think that there are fans who that, those things really do become. And I'm not trying to give a value judgment, mm-hmm. but like you know, if if you're like my entire life is Legend of Zelda. It is my life. Okay. I know everything about it. I own every copy of it. Wow. I'm the moderator of the Reddit forums on Legend of Zelda. I have a tattoo. You know, and people like that do exist, and that's great. However, if you then make fun of Legend of Zelda, it's very easy to interpret that as you being made fun of yourself. Gotcha. And I think for a lot of fans, it's that way. Also, like a lot of fans are younger and when you can't see what's behind the fucking anime avatar, uh, yes. you know, when I was 13, if someone said that Final Fantasy VII sucked, I would have been furious <laughs> and got into an internet fight. Sure. You know, and now if someone says Final Fantasy VII Makes sucks, sense. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I guess it's got its flaws, but I like it. You know, like, I think that we often don't see that there's a wide range of ages right? and a wide range of passions. Um, that said, I still think it's crazy to be that mad about someone making fun of a video game. It's so true, because I think the same way, because how can you possibly, like, every sort of genre, every sort of IP that's out, it's virtually impossible. Like, you know what right. I mean? Like, I don't know how this is a reoccurring uh, topic. Like, my last three or four guests, we've been talking about The Breath of the Wild, because I hate that fucking game. And it's, right. and, but I know I'm the outlier. Like, I know I'm in the minority. I know I'm the fucking less than 1% that hate that game. I know it's the greatest game of all time. I get it. But for me, it's not for me because now I'm older. I don't have the patience for it. If you were to give me this game, probably when I was fucking 12 or 13, oh my God, I could see it. Right. But I just, I I, I can't. And I make fun of so many stuff from the cooking to the rain to all kinds of shit that I just despise about it. Right. But then you have other people that are like, oh my God, you're so stupid. I can't believe you hate it. I'm never going to believe anything you say about video games ever again. I'm like, seriously? It's, it, I just don't like it. Like, I mean, here's here's an example. I was I I strongly disliked Last of Us One. Okay, I me too. Boring. Don't worry. Yes, I thought it was. Thank you. I thought I didn't like the gameplay. I sure. thought the story was kind of rote. I really liked Last of I. You know, like Last of Us One. I didn't like two. I liked oh, two. I okay. liked better. It's not my favorite game of all time, but sure. I was like. I was like, you know, I, like literally, I had a friend that was like, just give it a chance, man. You okay. might like it because because she had. She had actually worked QA for it years ago, and she was like, it's Uh, good. You're not going to believe me, but it's good. I can't tell you anything about it, but it's good. And so I did it, and I liked it. And I think that the fandom has this weird thing where that seems like a weird thing to do, to be like, but you hate it. And it's like, no, I just, I don't care. I just want to enjoy the game. (laughs) No kidding, right? I don't know. I don't know why people get so, I guess, their panties in a a in the nod, as they say, yeah. I, I don't know, whatever. Again, opinions are opinions. That's the whole point. If no one had opinions, then what's the point of even rating something? Exactly. And that's how it's treated. Like, it's treated, especially by a lot of fans who are like, if I haven't played this game yet, but I know it's going to be good. So if someone gives it a low rating, it's because, again, it's because they're attacking the thing that I love, which is attacking me, which you're like, you haven't even played this game yet, man. Right? Not kidding. Well, let's get back to the book then. Um, the other yeah. thing uh, that I like that you brought up was the, I guess, add-on. Because back then there was a no DLC, the Born from a Wish. Is this like, because yeah. like, now thinking back, there was no DLC. There was no add-ons. It's either you got the CD or the cartridge, and then you'd have to buy the next one in the series, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, you know, like, you know, PC games, like, like, like you know, StarCraft would have expansion packs you back, you bought. But there was nothing for P- for consoles like that. You know, like, um, 
And so it was just a thing where, like, the first PlayStation release didn't have it. And then in subsequent editions, they added, you know, a subchapter called Born uh, Born from a Wish. Mm-hmm. And it's like a prequel to the game that explains one of the main characters who's not the guy you play. Right. But it kind of, it really does change how you view the story. Like, playing Silent Hill without ever experiencing that story, you sort of lose some nuance. Sure. And so, but it is interesting because it is, it does feel like... It almost feels like um, it's almost like when a TV show has a surprise extra season, and you're like, "Oh, that's yes. weird," and it and it added to it. But it's really fascinating, and it's fascinating that they were like, "Oh, we got more to say, but we don't have more to say for the next game. We have more to say for this game." Yeah, no kidding. And then the other thing too, obviously, everyone knows boss fight books. There's that correlation between the author and the game, and why you guys write about this. And plus, okay, before I get even to that, this is one of the deepest books I've read from Boss Fight Books in terms of the emotional roller coaster of getting into like rape situations, getting in terms of like even with yourself bullying as a child and all that. Like, you know what I mean? Were you like sort of hesitant to talk about this stuff, or did you think that I'm putting it all out there? It is what it is. It's coming from the heart. Yeah, I mean, I definitely had hesitation. I had hesitation for a couple of reasons. Um, You know, one, a lot of the stuff that, you know, I went through as a kid, my family doesn't necessarily know about. So putting it in there, you know, like, like some people do, some people don't. Um, And so that's sort of putting that out there a little bit. It also, you know, there's also the reverse fear where it's like, am I milking something that happened to me for content? Or am I comparing, you know, am I comparing something bad that a neighbor did to me with, uh, incestuous sexual assault, which is an which is a, a, what a character has suffered from in her history in the game itself. Am I comparing apples and oranges by comparing something that's not nearly that bad? Right. So there was a lot of there was a lot of consideration about it. And to be honest, that section about me was much longer in early drafts. Oh. And one, I needed space in the book anyway. But two, I was like, I feel like I'm spending a lot of time on myself, as if I'm proving that I'm allowed to talk about this, rather than just saying, Hey, this happened to me. Let's talk about how that connects right right yeah no and kudos for you man because like i'm thinking of doing it myself like uh okay i don't want to make it seem like i'm some whatever and people need to know my story but a lot of crazy shit has happened to me as a child because of family issues and stuff like that and again it's not like anything crazy but it's different but i'm scared like how you were hesitant because a lot of people don't know about it and i don't want to throw like people that are my family under the bus because it's just me telling a story versus me getting angry and being like because yeah i I might be angry but i got over that already Uh, that's already in the past i just want to tell my story because it's out there so then people understand me a bit better and so it doesn't happen to other people too right yeah yeah and of course you know there's always like the fear that someone's gonna be like no you don't you're making this up right yes which you know i mean hasn't happened with this but definitely like in the past i've told like when i've mentioned that like i'm like i'm bisexual which i am right. so people have been like oh you're saying that to get hired on jobs and i'm like oh my well, god i'm not going to talk about this with you anymore <laughs> you know, right it's, it's so so it is a real fear you know it's 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 not like it would traumatize me to not be believed but it would be in a massive annoyance that i would have to deal with yeah no kidding so the other thing about the the game and slash book other than having okay there's more than just the main character james and obviously mary slash maria there's also the I guess the supporting cast, as you call it. And one of the characters is Eddie. Now, Eddie. you thought like he's almost sort of like a comedy relief or he and then he comes off like a bully. And then so, yeah. OK, explain to people who don't know who Eddie is, why, why he's even in the game to begin with. Uh, Eddie Dombrowski. Well, the, the sort of the, one of the sort of overarching conceits of Silent Hill 2 is you're running across a couple people um, who are also lost in this town. Right. And as you go, you find out each one has a reason that they're lost there. 
And like, there's a character, Angela, who I sort of briefly sort of referenced, who was being sexually abused by her father and brother, mm-hmm. and she killed them. Right. And now she's sort of lost in the town, and you and she's trying to sort of figure out where she is, and she says she's looking for her mother, and you don't know if she means to kill her mother or because her mother's her only comfort left. And Eddie is this very sort of fat man-child who, you know, dressed in, like, striped shirts and shorts, and he is in the town ostensibly because he was bullied so hard that he snapped, and he, like killed a dog and shot a football player in the leg. Um, That's what he says. Obviously, in this game, what we find out is everyone kind of lies a little bit because you do lie about shit that you might have done in your life. Of course. Um, And the reason I found him interesting was he is sort of the comic relief in the loosest sense, but he's seen as pathetic throughout the whole game. Like, you're supposed to judge him. Like, when you first first meet him, he's vomiting um, (laughs) because he's so scared. You know, other scenes, he's eating... And it's interesting because his whole character surrounds the fact that he hates being judged. He hates being bullied. He hates okay. that people see him as pathetic. Right. It enrages him. And that, that's why he shot that dog and that football player, because he yeah. hates feeling that way. Mm-hmm. But as an audience, we can only see him that way. Ironic, like, ironically, we can only see him that way, which kind of creates a tragedy around him. Like, right. Even in escaping from the world where people just judge him, he's now in a hell where like all of us as an audience and the other characters, because other characters call him fat, so or lazy, right. um, also judge him. Like, He can't not be judged. Yeah, that's all. And then another thing about the game too, another character, Pyramid Head, which is still prevalent Pyramid today. Head. Everyone knows who he is. Even if you, like myself, I, like, I see the memes, I see the gifts everywhere of Pyramid Head. And I totally forgot that he was related to fucking Silent Hill. How crazy is that? Yeah, he, he's he's and and specifically Silent Hill too. Like in the first scene, we see uh, Pyramid Head, and he's ascend, he's what looks like and what most people agree to be sexually assaulting another monster, right? Um, or not the first time, the second time we see okay, him. The first time, time we see him, he's standing still behind bars. The the first time we see him, like in motion, and. You know, in Silent Hill 2, he's this looming presence that you can't kill, that even in fights with him, he eventually just walks away. And he's sort of a representation of James's need to punish himself and Mm. never being able to overcome it. However, he looks cool as hell, so he kind of became like a mascot of the series and would later appear in later games, which is weird because he's sort of like very... It's weird because he's like this mysterious, terrifying monster that represents something very deep and sad. And he's now kind of become a cartoon character on a t-shirt. Yeah, no kidding. So what is the whole... Because I don't remember if you ended up saying it in the book or if it's been revealed. What is Silent Hill? Is it purgatory? Is it hell? Is it just James's mind? Like, it, has it been said what it was? It's open to interpretation. Okay, It's okay. open to interpretation. That's like, I think you're supposed to walk away from it being like, oh, you know, it's purgatory. Or like, oh, he was just imagining that as he died, which are different right? possible endings. Yeah, no kidding. And... So, okay, the comment that you made, before we get into the worst story of the week and all that, you made the comment that Silent Hill is a good game, but not a fun game. How, yeah. how does that make sense? Because it's hard for two people to not associate them both together. Um, okay, so, so with, 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 you know, what, with the reviews of Silent Hill 2, some of them were like, oh, it lacks some of the action of Silent Hill 1. You're not as like, right. you know, you're not blasting through enemies. It's not quite as fun as Resident Evil 2. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's, you can, you can uh, you know, sort of compare it to a movie. Like, 
you know, you might think of movies as you're like, oh, it's entertainment. Movies are part of the entertainment industry. They're entertaining. Right, right. But, you know, watching, you know, a Marvel movie is fun. You're having fun. Of course. It's entertainment. But you could watch, you know, Requiem for a Dream could be entertaining. It's not fun. It's compelling. Uh, it, it, it's something you're okay. watching, but it's not necessarily fun. Gotcha. And I think that a lot of times in video games, we still think of them as like, you know, it's a good time at the movies. Right. You know, it's entertainment. Sure. They're games, therefore they should be games. But there's there's room for sadness. You know, I think games, they're just interactive art. And yep. to to make them have to be enjoyable or to have to like make you smile at the end of the day you're cutting yourself off from a lot of really valuable experiences you could be having. I see what you say. Cause I couldn't get it at first. And I'm like, no, I want my video games to be fun because I want to escape like everything else and just dive into video game and have fun. I don't want to worry about a video game, then come back to real life and worry about real life. Right. And, and to be clear by fun, I don't necessarily mean you're not enjoying yourself or you're right. like compelled, but so much fun is like, you're like, Oh man, that feels so good to fire that gun. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like it doesn't feel it, you're not you're not feeling good while you're playing it. You're not like oh, like Resident Evil. You kind of are. You're like I right, clear exactly. That Whereas like you know Silent Hill Two, you'll beat a boss and then a character will yell at you for beating the boss because <laughs> you felt like you were taking something from right. Her. Like um, so it's it doesn't give you that satisfaction. Because at first I was all on board. Like uh, you said early on in the book where you're like, you don't never need to play this. There's so many different remakes where anyone could pick up and play it. But then by the end of the book, when you're explaining it, I'm like, nah, man, I don't want to play this fucking game. <laughs> <laughs> I start with selling it and then I work through the book saying you might not like this. Right. <laughs> so yep. what was yep. left out that you wanted to actually be put in the game? But Gabe was like, nah, this is already too long. Maybe you should take it out, whatever. Um... Uh, things that I lost that, uh, because they're a bit too long, there was a little more analysis of actual locations themselves. Okay. Uh, there was like a little more like, here's what like this apartment building represents. Here's what the hotel at the end of the game represents. And I sort of talked through different like themes and how they drew, drove the story forward. Um, it was sort of hard to fit anywhere. And it kind of is the driest part when you're just saying, when you're talking about the decor of haunted buildings. Mm. Um, so that, but it was, it was fun to write. I think I also had to cut. I had to cut a little bit of uh, critical reception. I made that a little bit shorter than it was. That was a much longer section. Okay. I really was able to get in most of the things I wanted to say. Um, I just had to find shorter ways to usually do it. <laughs> no, that completely makes sense, of course. So why not write a book about a Nintendo game since you worked at Nintendo? Wouldn't you have some connections and stuff to get in the book? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I would, but... It's also kind of like, you know, one of the joys of working on this book was I got to learn about a book that I, I mean, learn about a game that I love that I didn't know everything about. So, you know, it's not like I was like, I know everything about Silent Hill 2 and I'm going to write it because I'm the expert on it. I was like, I love this game. I'm going to learn everything about it and write about it. Well, and speaking of Nintendo, you brought it up too, that Super Mario All-Stars was the first remake technically that was ever made. And again, I didn't even think about that. Like that's yeah. uh, like okay. How about this? When you play those original games, do you play them on Super Mario Stars or do you play the original NES version? I play the original NES version. Oh I still, man! I go back to the original NES. I mean, I, I like All Stars. If someone was like, right, you know, all I got in my house is All Stars, I'm fine. But I love those original NES games. I just can't. Again, I, well, maybe okay. How about this? I'll go back and if I have no other choice, yes. But I prefer because the 16-bit era is just so much more polished, like than the yeah. 8-bit. Like you don't see the clunkiness, the squares. Like I don't know, there's just something that maybe I do. Maybe Super Nintendo is my favorite system. Thinking about it, but there's just something about it that's just so colorful, yeah. so like vibrant. Yeah, 
Absolutely. No, I absolutely agree, yeah. What do you think the next remake should be, period, of any of any genre or IP or whatever? Um, that's a tough question, because there are so many games and so many games inspired by other games. That's um, true, too. That is a really tough question. Um, you know what? I feel like, um... Hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I also have this giant backlog of games, so I'm like, what do I want to see more of? Oh, God, I don't know. Um, I actually don't know. I don't have an answer for you, and that's crazy. I don't have, like, I, I, like, I can think of games that I'm like, well, I'd love a new Alpha Centauri, but I don't know if that's necessarily, like, me, like, nailing what the industry needs to do as much as, I like this old game. It would look good new. Right. Okay, how about this? How about another sequel, like, a continuation of, like, something that hasn't been since, like, I don't know, like, PlayStation 1 or 2 era? Yeah. Um, you know, I would love to see, uh, Devil Dice is a great game for PlayStation 1 that I still play on emulators. It's a great puzzle game. It's a great, it's a great, like, multiplayer puzzle game. Right. Um, I think I would like to see a return to more multiplayer puzzle games. Oh. Um, just because they used to be, they used to be like everything with couch co-op. They're a little harder online. They still have them online, like Puyo Pop and Puyo Pop Tetris or whatever it's called for Switch has it, but like. I miss games like, you know, like discovering games like Tetris Attack um, or, um, you know, or Puyo Puyo. I kind of miss like good, like head to head competitive puzzle games. You know what I also miss? I'm not a sports fan, okay. but I miss games like NBA Jam and NFL Blitz that made sports fun. Like, I, yes. it's not that I don't like sports because it's jocks. I just find sports kind of boring because they're slow. Sure. But when it's like NFL Blitz or NBA Jam where you're doing it in eight minutes, love it. Well, then you got to check out Ultimate Rivals. I don't know if you heard of this series that's come out. They have Ultimate Rivals, The Rink, and The Court is coming out. And actually, I had the CEO of BitFry Games. That's the, the studio that produces that was on the show. And yeah, this is exactly what it is. It's got literally every major league organization. So you got the NHL, you got the NFL, NBA. They've even added WWE characters. And you play them a la like NBA Jam style. That's great. What's it called? Ultimate Rivals, The Rink. It's for hockey, and then the court is due out any month now, I guess. And it's available on oh, Steam and Apple Arcade. Oh, sweet, sweet, sweet. Yeah, so you awesome. should go check that out if you're into that, like, that sort of genre. Very much into it. So, are you ready for the worst story of the week? Let's do it. Worst story of the week. Okay, how about this first? Are you a foodie? Are you into food? Um, I'm not a food expert. I do like food. I, I, I would say I'm mid-level foodie. Mid-level foodie. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm not a foodie whatsoever. Everyone knows who knows me. I just, if I didn't have to eat to stay alive, I would never eat. That, but that's just me. No, I, I love to eat, but it's usually trash. <laughs> there you go. Fair enough. How about this? Have you ever wanted to join an eating competition? No. No, 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 no. I feel like I feel like growing up a fat kid. Anything that involves me having to eat a lot is just the center, the center of sadness. How about okay? How about if you could choose just what if if there was a time where it, no calories, nothing would happen to you physically, it would be healthy. What food would you actually want to enter a contest to do? Um, it's probably a bad choice, but rice. I really, I feel really? like rice is something that I like. I'll just like just eat and then keep eating and not realizing I'm eating it. I really like rice. I really like. Like, especially like sushi rice, just like oh. sushi sticky rice. 
Okay, okay. That's a weird answer, but that's what I got. That is, I know, because I'm thinking like maybe like fries or chips or like, you know what I mean? Something that's not really healthy for you because, well, rice technically isn't healthy, but I guess it's more right, healthier. Yes, but, yeah. <laughs> it's more healthier than chips, I guess. <laughs> well, okay, so this week's story comes from California. So there was an amateur taco eating contest at a minor league baseball game, right? And yep. something went terribly wrong. To the point that one of the contestants' son is now suing the baseball organization for this. So, if you'd have to guess, what do you think actually went wrong during an eating competition? Um, Especially tacos. <laughs> taco eating competition, what could go wrong? I'm trying to think if it's something goofy or something serious. Um... And you say horribly wrong. Yes. I had to stay with the Silent Hill theme. <laughs> I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to say food was undercooked and a bunch of people got food poisoning. This man wishes. So this 18-year-old is suing the baseball organization because his 41-year-old father died from choking on a taco. Jesus Christ. I, mean, I don't know if that's the organization. I don't know if that's the baseball's fault. Well, the kid claims that they didn't sign any papers, there's no waivers, and they didn't warn of the side effects or anything. But again, come on, you're entering an eating competition. Like, obviously, you know yeah. something might go wrong here, right? Yeah. God, yeah, no, God. I mean, I get being upset. I would probably sue, too. But from the outside, I'm like, that's an eating competition. Like, I don't know. Like, uh, That's sad. That's really sad, yeah. It's, I don't know what, again, this is just people trying to blame something else. Like, I'm sorry to say, like, I know rest in peace and all that, but it's the man's own fault for, like, if you're going to do something stupid, expect stupid results, right? Right. And, you know, like, stop stop doing eating, comp- stop having amateur eating and water holding competitions for people that don't know their bodies will break. Well, that's the other thing that the, the son was saying, that professionals apparently warm up to it. They have ways of doing stuff, proper techniques. Right. They got to train for it, supposedly. And this man just went in and like, yeah, I could do it one day and just scarfed. And then, but again, wouldn't you notice if someone is choking? Why did no one help this man? Right. Like- that's the other thing. And also, if you're eating that much, I feel like, could you remove the obstruction by just vomiting? Good point. I, I actually don't know. I actually don't know. I'm sure someone who's listening does. <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's... God, and to die that way feels so weird. And that's the other thing. Oh. Like, you have to, like, have to, like, at a funeral be like, oh, he lived as he died, eating tacos. Like, it's hard to, like, get through that, you know? Well, if tacos was his favorite food, at least he died doing something he loved. True, true. There are worse ways to die. <laughs> no kidding. Well, Mike, thanks for coming aboard. Really appreciate it, my friend. Plug all your shit where people can find you. Anything you want to promote, the floor is all yours. Great. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mike Drucker, M-I-K-E-D-R-U-C-K-E-R, on Instagram at Mike Drucker is dead. You can also watch uh, the show that I'm co-head writer of, Full Frontal with Samantha B, Wednesdays at 10.30 on TBS. You can also find it online. We post all the episodes on YouTube. And buy Silent Hill 2 from Boss Fight Books. It is available on Kindle, but if you go to bossfightbooks.com, they get the money, and they're an independent publisher, so please support the indies. 
Exactly. And for myself, please, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast app. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast app at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show. Support those fine sponsors. And obviously, Boss Fight Books is one of them because if it helps them out, it helps me out. And please, most importantly, rate, subscribe, review. People have no idea how important this is. This is even bigger than getting paid. Well, not really because it leads to you getting paid. But it's just as important as the the platforms that pay the the independent podcasters because without those clicks without those likes they don't think anyone's listening you know what i mean so please rate subscribe review on all that fun stuff one last question before i let you go i don't want to put you on the spot but out of everything that you've written or have done career-wise what has been your favorite project you've worked on um the most fun i've ever had working on something was uh a short-lived Comedy Central show called The President Show. And okay. I think because we knew it was burning to the ground as it was burning to the ground, so you were kind of like on a pirate ship that was sinking. Um, so that was the most fun I've ever had. In terms of like the greatest honor of my life, honestly still might be a Nintendo. Really? Yeah, I mean like, you know, I've been lucky to do a lot of things, but in terms of things where I'm like, I fucking wrote for Nintendo. I have my you know name what, yeah. in a Nintendo video game. That's solid. If That's probably like the thing I'm most proud of in terms of in terms of my career um but i'm proud of everything i've done and i don't want to like dismiss the of other course. accomplishments as if i don't like them right right no most definitely okay now i gotta know too what was the game that you wrote for while you were on nintendo uh kid Icarus uprising was, oh, was sure. the main one i also did mario party 9 and oh there you go they also have like groups where you pitch names for enemies all the time but my two main projects were mario party 9 kid Icarus uprising so what did you do write the main story or, or was it some of the interactions between characters what exactly was the main focus of your writing um, for Kid Icarus Uprising, it was because it was a game with a lot of jokes and a lot of humor. Mm-hmm. We would work in tandem with the Japanese team. Like we'd get script updates oh. from them. Our translators would work with us, but okay. we'd also be like, what about this joke? Because, you know, it's not like a regular translation or localization where you can just go like, okay, we're translating the name of the town. We're sure. translating the quest instructions. This is like, this joke makes no sense. Literally. What is a joke we could write that hits the same idea? Ah, okay. And so there was a lot of space for creativity in there. And, and, Again, like, it's a project where we were working on it at the same time they were. So every time we changed something in the script, they saw it as well. So it was never like, we were never straying far from their vision. Oh, that's so cool. And on that note, he's Mike. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace.